Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. Spoiler alert. Someone dies. Hi guys, welcome to the latest episode of Slow Apostrophe Laughter. <laughs> My name is Lucy. And I'm Emma. And um, I just wanted to take a brief moment. Last time I asked you for money, this time I'm going to ask you for some reviews. That costs nothing. Manners cost nothing. It costs your time. And that's about it. Yeah. So, and let's I mean, be honest, you're listening to us, so your time is not precious. <laughs> if you uh, write nice ones, I might start reading them as well. I can. That's true. Because <laughs> I just can't. My, I just don't have the uh, the resilience for negative comments about myself. Yeah, just go to wherever you listen to podcasts um, and drop us a five star review because we know anything below that does not count for shit. Okay, so I'm going to start off and I'm going to bring you a UK true crime tale, which was inspired actually by something we discussed in one of our latest episodes. Was it Love Island? No, it wasn't Love Island. Is this going to be a Love Island murder? No, I'll have to try and (laughs) shoehorn that in next week so that we can hopefully get the recognition we deserve from ITV2. We'll keep watching it. One day it's going to happen. But no, we were talking a little bit about... um, stories that you heard i don't want to say which one because then it's going to give away what happens in this story I'm happy to wait. but if you listen to this and then you'll know what we're talking about yeah just so, listen, listen to the podcast and just everyone be quiet and listen now <laughs> everyone just settle down Shh. so mrs francis knight her was a lady okay a lady she, she was she had been married but she'd become estranged from her husband he was a dentist, so... Why is this strange? Is that where you just lose them? No, it's where, like, you want to divorce them, but they wouldn't let you because oh. you had to get permission. So you're just separated, I guess. So she didn't live with him. Uh, this happened in around 1936. So she'd been living in, like, Brighton and Hove area. Nice. Which would have been nice. But then, obviously, this sort of time... Um, things were getting very close to the Second World War and living on the bottom coast of England was becoming an increasingly dangerous place (laughs) to be. So Frances decided that she would rather go over to Wales out in the country. They're not going to bomb that. No one's going to get to Wales. And by 1940, she was staying in a boarding house in Rill. So February the 27th, 1940, there's a record that tells us a policeman visited Frances to deliver her with the court order, which would award her a £2 per week maintenance allowance from her husband. So she'd finally got through with that. So not long after that, she obviously decided, right, now I've got this, I can upgrade. And she went to move to a different boarding house and took a 30 shilling a week room in the house of Mrs. Sarah Jane Harvey. So, Mrs. Harvey had lived with her husband, Alfred, and her young son in this family home where she'd spent over 40 years of her life. It was 35 West Kinmel Street in Rill. But when her... We all need to know because we're all heading there after this. Yeah, I think it's going to be an Airbnb now, surely. Big party. Or at least just look it up on Google Maps. I like doing that with murder Mm -hmm. houses. And then going, that's where it was. (laughs) Yeah. They just look like normal (laughs) houses, if I'm honest. This is a normal house. I would never do a drive-by. Like, I wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to drive past Fred and Rose's house because then it still is just a house and you're now in a place where there's, like, no Nandos. (laughs) I don't even... (laughs) So, 
when her husband Alfred died in 1938, um, the family was left on very little to survive. So she started taking lodgers to support the family. And Mrs. Frances Knight had been one of her first. So when she moved in with her, Frances was in her 60s. And it's said that she would complain of muscular pain that would make it difficult for her to walk. And it's thought that this is most likely a symptom of multiple sclerosis, which is like an autoimmune disease. It typically affects women I think nearly twice as many three times as many women than men Um, and it would have given her chronic pain and it would have definitely shortened her life expectancy although today many people live just managing the symptoms so is that the one that in neighbours um Carl's wife had I don't know I don't remember that didn't she have dementia didn't she like forget who Carl was and then he had to like make her fall in love with him again Maybe was I'm it that Carl sure. lost his memory and Susan had to make him love her again didn't he lose his memory and then have an affair <laughs> which is fair enough because he didn't remember his wife they've I mean they've done everything they must have been through everything by now is it cheating if you can't remember you've got a boyfriend no it's a bloody good excuse that's what it is yeah anyway so Francis because of this would at times struggle to leave the house And the first maintenance payment that she'd been given had to be collected for her by someone from the magistrate's office. After which, Frances gave Mrs. Harvey written permission to go and collect it for her. So this arrangement seemed to be going quite well. um, But Frances Knight left the boarding house quite abruptly that same year. Though she did leave plenty of belongings behind that Mrs. Harvey stored in a cupboard on the landing and warned her son that he must never, ever, ever open it. Oh. (laughs) When you're saying left the house, should you be doing air quotes, left the house? She's gone to Landudno, is what we're... Is that not a euphemism for bum sex? He's going to take her up (laughs) Landudno, quite possibly. But, so now we're going to jump to 1960, when Leslie Harvey... the, who was the young son at the boarding house. He's now 29. He'd, so he finally worked up the courage to open this cupboard. Not yet. He'd moved <laughs> out. He'd been married. Uh, Mrs. Sarah Jane Harvey was now in her 60s herself. And she'd been admitted to the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Rill that April for observation. That's all we know. But while she was staying there, her son thought it'd be a good idea to go and redecorate her home give it a fresh look of paint and just have everything looking nice and clean for when she returned thoughtful that's cute i mean my parents if ever my bedroom was being decorated they'd send me off in the caravan with my grandparents and then i'd come home to a new bedroom is that so you had literally no say no creative control and out of the way down come the boy zone posters in more five surely. i was westlife westlife oh. and then straight into green day Mm. so which is a natural (laughs) step for anyone green day nirvana so it seemed like the time had come to tackle this cupboard on the landing which had always been forbidden to open as a child and he was going to just clear out all the rubbish that this old lodger had left 20 years earlier he just assumed to be clothes and things like that it's time to go so the door was locked, so he had to use a f- screwdriver to force open the cupboard door. And when he did, it was just absolutely full of cobwebs and dust and just piles of dirt, bundles of mank, pretty much. So he, once the dust had settled, he looked in and you saw that mostly it was just taken up by like a huge dirty mound. And then he looked closer to the bottom of this bundle And he saw a wizened human foot. (gasps) Oh my God. Surely it would have stank though. Well, Bloody good, well insulated cupboard. Yeah, the conditions in this cupboard were sort of like freak, by freak of chance, they were actually perfect for recreating a mummification process. No. Yeah. So he took his wife, who'd been there to help. Like He just said, look, you've got to go immediately. This is not for delicate women's eyes. No, I thought it was going to be, you've got to clean this because you're a woman and this is the 60s. He got rid of her and then he returned with his father-in-law because if anyone's going to know if that's a human body or not, 
it's going to be my father-in-law. <laughs> Has he any specific job? No, I don't know. But my mother always tries to get me to marry into some kind of trade. Like she wants me to get with a plumber or something. Useful. He obviously thought, get with someone who knows what body part a dead person has. Like, is it dog, human? He's the one. Yeah. But... So he went with him just to, he obviously just needed someone to go and check this out with him to ascertain what he was uncovering. So this like dusty bundle was actually covered with fly paper. And the fly paper in turn was just completely encrusted with flies. Like, so you couldn't even tell what it was initially. And the foot was definitely that of a human corpse. Um, so basically the warm it was like quite warm air there was like ventilation in there like a vent and it was quite there was a sort of I think some sort of trapdoor to a loft so there was like a circulation of warm air going through this cupboard that did mummify the body so it was the bundle was blankets wrapped round and round this body they didn't really they couldn't get into it to be honest it was so because of the mummification, it was basically just completely stiff, hard. They said it was hard as rock. The skin was like looked like leather, just really clear. Um, they did have noticed that there was like bedding wedged between the legs, and a few accounts say that this is likely to try and soak up bodily fluids that would be as mm. you die. Apparently, things all start running out of you. Yeah, like a tasty pig oh god possibly like, a, the, like yeah like the fat surely yeah do, i mean don't you like be bloat up to big bloaty mass and then it sort of all squelches out of you well if i ever need to ascertain if it's a dead human body or not i'm calling you <laughs> Um, they did ring the police then they didn't really delve into it and look they had rung the police who were making these sort of discoveries and when they went to try and get the body out of there, because it had had spent 20 years just sort mm. of hardening and not rotting, but like just petrifying in there, they actually had to use a garden spade as a lever to force it out because it had like fused with the lino and adhered to the actual cupboard itself. Gross. It's really fucking gross. Yeah. The police went to speak to Mrs. Harvey in hospital and when they informed her about, we found a body in your cupboard, she was like, oh my goodness, I don't know how it could have got there. She just said, I don't I have no idea. She said, And they asked her about Mrs. Knight because apparently, how true this was, apparently the son looked at the body and said, it might be Mrs. Knight. They said he recognised her. He would have been about nine years old at the time, so I doubt he would have recognised mm. her. But he had said that this cupboard was full of Mrs. Knight's belongings. So they yeah. asked her about that. Why, where are her belongings? There's a woman in there. And she said, no, Mrs. Knight moved to London, no, back in 1940 to escape the war. Uh, someone else must have died in there without me knowing. Maybe by belongings she meant skin teeth yeah where else am i gonna put well that's another thing she had all of her teeth had been removed so there were no dental records to identify with she oh. was a f she wore dentures but the dentures were missing oh taken out she also obviously was estranged from her husband there was no wedding ring recovered what are you gonna do with a pair of old dentures do you know what i'd do put them in a dog i'd put them in it like i'd chisel out a fruit do little eyes on it Put a little set of dentures in there, put it on Instagram. Have a little fruit friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I just think that's crazy that she would have thought, oh, well, maybe just one of my lodgers went in there mm. and I never knew. I mean, that's a cautionary tale about ever holding a dinner party. Because <laughs> if you invite enough people around, one of them's going to lock themselves in a cupboard and die. Mm. It, I mean, it could happen. A lot of wine. Who crazy knows? spot. Well ventilated. So this began a huge investigation that was going to really prove a challenge to collect evidence for because the most vital piece of evidence was the body itself. And it was so hard that it had to be soaked in glycerine for a week before it was soft enough for them to be able to carry out any kind of post-mortem on because it was just all curled up. They couldn't get scalpel into the skin, anything. So after a week soaking, all the finer points will likely be... Mm. a little bit smushed up 
So the pathologist that was carrying out this post-mortem found the remains of what he thought would be a stocking that had been tied into a ligature around the neck and a deep groove in the skin, which suggests that she'd possibly died from strangulation. So inquiries with former lodgers at the Kinmel Street house revealed that Mrs. Harvey had sold some luggage with Francis Knight's initials on and had warned other people during their stays there never to go in the cupboard. But she'd said it's because that's where she kept her best linen. So upon her release from hospital, Sarah Jane Harvey was now the main suspect in this murder inquiry and was taken for further questioning at the real police station. And she was, she literally looked like a picture of a grandma, like the little perm, the glasses, small, quite unassuming, but it didn't take long for her to realize that they weren't going to buy the confused grandma act. Like, I don't know how it got there. So she changed her story completely. She said that at some point during Francis Knight's stay in 1940, Mrs. Harvey heard screams coming from her room upstairs. So she went up and found Frances collapsed on the floor and in pain. So she tried to hoist her up onto the bed, but couldn't manage it. So she was completely unsure what to do next. So did the standard British procedure, when in doubt... Made a cup of tea. Exactly. She went downstairs and brewed up. But by the time she'd brought the cup of tea up to the room, Mrs. Knight had died. Then she's completely panicked, frightened. I like to think that she sat down and had the cup of tea with, and had a little think about it. <laughs> Can't go to waste. Exactly. Don't want to spoil it. But she said that she was just so frightened that she was going to get into trouble and that no one would believe her about this dead body that she somehow managed to summon up the strength that she didn't have to hoist her on her bed to drag her along the landing, wrap her in a blanket, shove her in the cupboard, put in some flypaper and lock the door. So she's saying she didn't kill her, but she knew that she died and then hid her in the cupboard. Yeah, she hid her because she panicked. Now that she'd hid her in a cupboard, she was too scared to tell anyone about it. So she kept going to collect Mrs. Knight's two pounds a week allowance for the next 20 years. She never stopped collecting it. She never thought, oh, I'll just like taper off. No, she was collecting it up to the day she was arrested. Oh, till she was arrested. Yeah, she was getting it all the fucking time. Oh my God. So casting some so she basically said i just locked her in there and i never wanted to look at her again like that was it but then some doubts on this story were the fact that they looked at the fly paper in the room and on it there were some manufacturers codes that when they checked them said that the fly paper had been produced in 1942 so mrs harvey had obviously throughout the t- years kept if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Going in the cupboard and changing the paper. Maybe... Mm putting other stuff in there, shoving a Dyson on top of her, things like that. <laughs> so she had opportunity to come to her senses, I guess. Well, every week when she was getting this money was a, a distinct reminder. Exactly. So it went to trial. Uh, she was charged with the murder of Francis Knight. So the trial took place in October 1960 at Ruthin Assizes. I guess it's in Wales, so I'm sure it's probably pronounced differently. Probably got a in there somewhere. <laughs> but Mrs. Harvey pleaded not guilty to murder, but she did plead guilty um, of intent to defraud. So the prosecution suggested that this murder was possible because Mrs. Knight was ill and she would have been vulnerable to an attack, while the defence used the testimony of one of Mrs. Knight's friends a woman called Mrs. Rogers, who said that, yes, she walked with a stick and she was slightly overweight, but she was cheerful, she was active. You wouldn't have thought of her as a weak target. Um, But I thought even more so that she was able to drag her into a cupboard then, if that's true. But the main issue was basically proving the cause of death. So strangulation seemed possible, but despite this groove in the flesh where the stocking was... There was no damage to the cartilage underneath, which would have proved it was definitely consistent with strangulation. So it was argued that a stocking tied around the neck after death would eventually cause a depression in the flesh over 20 years of mummification. Why the fuck you'd put it on after death, I'm not quite sure. I think at one point they suggested that maybe she'd tried to kill herself but then, which is why she would have had this stocking around her neck. So then they were trying to argue, well, has the stocking been under any particular strain or stress that shows it's been really stretched? Which they couldn't prove either. Some One doctor basically said yes, one doctor said no. So the courts were no better. It's weird how in a murder investigation, something so sort of normal can become such a figure of interest and you can have so many debates about one stocking. Like with the staircase, the blowpoke. Exactly. So everyone, I'm sick of hearing the word blowpoke. Blowpoke. Because you know the staircase is back on Netflix with updated episodes. <gasps> what? Three new episodes. Oh my God. On Netflix. People are going to think that this is a mid-roll. <laughs> Just squeezed in. No, I'm Coming excited. Out, came out Friday. Anyway. So... Basically, they decided the person who's going to answer this is Mrs. Harvey. She should be able to give us the explanation of why there would have been a stocking tied around her neck. Because if she had killed herself and you're going to drag her in a cupboard, maybe you'd have taken it off. But anyway, Mm. Mrs. Harvey had the answer. She said that Mrs. Knight had been suffering from a cold and that it was common practice to wrap a stocking around the neck to cure it. Bullshit. I mean, a scarf. Is yeah. stocking a used stocking no one wants that near their face i mean i did read something where someone chirped up and said well actually my mom and dad used to fill a stocking with vapor rub and then tie it around your neck i think the point of a vapor rub is that you rub it in yeah, you rub it on or around your face um but this is what she said and um it said that the courtroom stirred in disbelief this answer so i don't think it was that common practice in the 60s anyway so like i said there was mainly two expert doctors a defense doctor and a prosecution doctor and they just neither of them agreed on anything as is often likely but there was no conclusive evidence to say what happened they couldn't say if the stocking ligature was applied before or after death they couldn't say whether it stretched beyond normal use they couldn't say if it had even been used to cause death by strangulation. So with very little evidence, no definitive cause of death, 
the judge had to advise the jury to give a verdict of not guilty because they just couldn't say how she died. So Sarah Jane Harvey was found not guilty of murder. But the fraud of Mrs. Knight's allowance was undeniable. Mm. And she was sentenced to 15 months imprisonment. Um, And then upon her release, she went to live in a nursing home where the reason she was initially sent into hospital for observation turned out to be that she had cancer, which she died of. So, yeah, she didn't have much time after that anyway. Which, when I wrote that, I thought, oh, that's a little bit sad. And I thought, well, she did shove a woman in a cupboard and let her mummify herself. Yeah, I think it was probably worse for Mrs. Knighton. Mrs. Knight, yeah. Mrs. Knight. Ton. Mrs. Knight. You've just (laughs) heard me say it. (laughs) Um... But she, but then is there any point putting a little old lady in jail? That's how they get away with it. Yeah. But by then she's got away with it Are you less bad because you're old? I mean, I mean, they wouldn't be bringing it up at Christmas after either, would they? <laughs> I remember when mum killed that woman and put her in a cupboard. That's that story. Mummy oh, I- in a cupboard. Inspired by the landlady story we discussed last time. <gasps> she was a landlady that killed a person. Yeah. There you go. Okay, so I'm going to do quite a famous true crime story that a lot of you, I think, who live in the UK will remember from at the time because it was big in the media. So this is the Who shot Mr. Burns? No. Who shot me? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So this is the murder of Joanna Yates, which some of you will be... Right, I know everything, and I think some of you will be intrigued to know that it is... um, It's got a few twists and turns throughout it. Okay, so 8 o'clock, 19th December 2010. That's why I don't remember it. I was in bed by then. <laughs> 8 o'clock is pyjamas time. 9 o'clock is in bed time. 10 o'clock is sleep time. It's very rigid. Which is weird because a lot of my students stay up way later than that. And also, I remember when I was maybe in year 8, 9, 10, and my friend said, oh, my mum goes to bed at 9 o'clock. And I remember thinking, 9 o'clock? Your mum's a legend. And now I think, yeah, that's reasonable. That's done. Get Love your hours in. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to stay up for a show for beyond nine. Some people watch a full film. Exactly. Sleep in nine to five. That's my life. Yeah. Um. So eight o'clock, nineteenth December two thousand and ten. Greg Reardon returns home from a weekend in Sheffield, and he expects to find waiting at home his girlfriend Joanna Yates. However, she's not there, and when he phones her, um, her phone rings in her pocket of her coat hanging on the hook so already he's confused then he finds her purse is still there and the keys to the flat and the cat seems to have not been fed for a couple of days so he is instantly concerned and he phones her parents asks if she's there they say no and so he phones the police and they start an investigation So a bit of background on Joanna and Greg. Now, they'd been dating for a few years. They were both architects, um, and I think they both worked at the same firm. And she was part of a loving family growing up. She grew up in Hampshire, and she'd moved to Clifton in Bristol with Greg, and they rented a flat together, and they were both sort of up and coming in the architectural world and um yuppies i think the kids are calling them <laughs> but very hard working but very nice people um and they were just renting a flat in that area so the landlord of the flat was a christopher jeffries and he lived upstairs on his own now he didn't have a tv and he was he liked reading books so one of those people who had basically wall-to-wall books i think i saw like a drama about this you might well have done Oh, I have seen... I just saw, like... Yeah, I saw yeah. A, a drama about this. Or a film. Oh, okay. But, I mean, I, that's the worst landlord you can imagine. Imagine a, a landlord who never has any background noise. They're just listening to everything you're doing. Literally just hear everything. I mean, I'm a landlord. And 
my tenant dun, lives dun, dun, dun. <laughs> my tenant lives below me but i've always got something going on i'm never i mean luke will turn it down just to listen to his conversations a little bit but i'm not quite as nosy and um so but i when he moved in i was a bit like do you like to have the tv on in the background or am i gonna have to worry about you but he said it, it's fine um always have a bit of background noise so, the last time Greg had seen Joanna was 17th December at the Bristol Round Pub and they'd gone there with some colleagues after work for sort of a Christmassy drink. It was coming to the time when people are taking time off to have, enjoy Christmas holidays. And she said to colleagues, I'm looking forward to having a relaxed weekend alone while Greg's away because he was going to visit some friends. Yes, like you can actually have a bath without someone knocking on the door being like, are you okay? Yeah, of course I'm fucking okay. I'm having a bath. <laughs> yeah. But, or, I mean, without them bringing tea in the bath. Yeah, okay. Bring the tea. Bring <laughs> the hummus. Bring the crackers. Bring the cheese. Then don't ask me if I'm okay. Are you having hummus in the bath? Then bring the towel. Hummus in the bath. Sometimes. Okay. I've got a nice little shelf situation. Makes it ideal. <laughs> Do you think that's alarm bells, though, that she's looking forward to Greg going away? No, because I think sometimes you do want, like, that actual time to yourself. Like, I could watch a musical without True. having eye rolling next to me. I have not seen My Fair Lady since I got with Luke. Like, it's not that, like, you will miss them, but... It's nice to just do totally your own thing. You can wear those fucking ugly ass pajamas. That... I'll still wear them anyway. Oh, I'm still on the. <laughs> but I'm married. So. <laughs> um, so she was planning on doing some baking. She's gonna yes! go. She's gonna go shopping for like Christmas stuff, probably without him moaning or whatever. Sure. So she was, she was fine. She's looking forward to the time. Do you know what I, I've been saying this? Like, I, I really miss about. Um, is like going to bed asleep. I always used to listen to podcasts to fall asleep, just on loud yeah. in the room. And now I really get annoyed that I can't do that anymore. Or like I would watch the same episode of The Office like every night for a week mm. because I just want like the familiar noise. And like I can't do that because yeah. there's somebody else I used else to watch around, but... QI every night. So Joanna, um, in terms of her activity that night, so she was caught on CCTV after the pub, going to Waitrose, went into Waitrose, didn't buy anything. Probably That's looked... what I, I've done that so many yeah. times. There's a Waitrose like on the just next to the taxi rank. Keep wandering in. Nope. I definitely relate to this girl because she goes to Waitrose, doesn't buy anything, and then she goes to Tesco Express and buys a pizza. Yep. Yep. Um, at about eight forty, and then she went to Bargain Booze and got two bottles of cider. Enjoying life. Um. So. She's on that CCTV. I hope she got to enjoy this evening. She didn't. Oh. So after discovering Joanna is missing, her friends trying to use social media. They're sharing posts. They're trying, you know, have you seen this girl? She's she's last seen at the pub at this time. Um, but nothing comes back from that. And then 21st of December, the police um, make a public appeal. So then they sort of take over the investigation, um, have a press conference and ask if anyone's seen anything. So at the flat... Um, Joanna's coat she'd been wearing was there, which, again, right. iffy. No evidence of the pizza. Um, mm, no not packaging. Not so iffy, to be honest. Oh. But, like, she's, there's nothing in the bin. Like, she's obviously not gone home and eaten this pizza. stole the pizza. Weird. Um, the cider was there. Um, and so she had, so she'd made it home, or someone with her stuff had made it home? She got, yeah, her coat was there, her keys were there, her phone was there. No pizza, but cider was. Um, so she's obviously been home. No sign of a struggle, no break-in. So looking around the area, some footprints were found on the lawn, but these belonged to the neighbour who was called Vincent Tabak, or Tabak. Um, and he was like a geeky Norwegian whose girlfriend had come to stay. Um, and he worked in sort of... Um, his job was... I, was, I watched a bit of a documentary about this as well. And his job was described as analysing the flow of people, which I thought, does he work for always? <laughs> like, women's flow. But Ugh. I think it meant, like, sort of sociology-based, like, the movement of people, sort of town planning, that kind of thing. Oh, okay. Um, and he'd, he'd walked her out. I think she'd left, and he'd, like, walked her across the grass. So nothing weird there. Um, the police also investigated with the assumption that Joanna had been abducted 
by someone that she knew because there was no break-in. So they thought, well, someone must have come round and been invited in and then taken her. So Christmas Day, Mr and Mrs Birch, um, who live three miles away from this flat, they're walking their dog about 8.45am and they see a mound of snow and there's a bit of fabric sticking out and they go to take a closer look and they realise that it's the body of a woman. Um, and very quickly that body is identified as Joanna's. And the, in the, docu- the documentary that I watched, they, they talked to the parents and they said, by this time, they, ju- they knew she was dead. They weren't really optimistic anymore. And they just wanted to know the answers. And they knew it was Joanna's as soon as it, they said they found a body. So the police called the investigation Operation Braid, which there wasn't any explanation for that. Wait, so how had she died? Um, I think because she was out in the open, it was a bit difficult to discern, but I'm pretty sure it was strangulation. Right. Um, But it didn't go into a lot of detail in the sources that I looked at. But they called it Operation Braid, and I thought maybe it's because they wanted to name it after things that men can't do. One, they can't do a braid. Two, they can't solve the murder of Joanna Yates. Um... And then it reminded me of a story of, um, well, not a story, a real thing that happened to me. An anecdote. That um, at Luke's uh, friend's wedding, he was he was best man. And um, they, at the, this, the, like the vicar, the priest, the, the lady who was running the ceremony, she out of nowhere brought out this bit of rope and said, right, we're going to hang gonna- ourselves. <laughs> maybe like <laughs> she was really mean to luke i feel like he w- was on the the end of some sort of divorce just looking to the bride like if you want to get out of this now here's your chance <laughs> yeah um but she made because there were two best men and the groom she made them plait the rope in front of everyone to represent some sort of relationship with god or something i think uh, one like- was one one was the other and one was god um, and they'd never done a plat before and it's three three men three white straight men who clearly didn't have a clue and it was the most tortuous thing trying to work watch them trying to work out under over the next one's running through it's just oh not, God. It's nothing funnier than watching straight men try and plat um so i feel tortured just hearing the story. <laughs> so police looked at some similar cases in an attempt to sort of see who this could be and maybe it was some sort of serial killer that had um, killed women in the local area. So they linked um, Joanna's murder to potentially Glanis Caruthus. Glanis is the name that's Carruthers. not making a comeback, is it? How do you know it's Caruthers? Because it's a name that people have. Okay. I think I've just heard it before. Sorry. So she was only 20. Um, she was strangled in 1974 and then there was Melanie Hall who was 25 who disappeared in 1996 um, and her body wasn't found for 13 years and then there was 35 year old Claudia Lawrence who disappeared in 2009 right. um, most similar was Melanie Hall who was 25 and I had a little look into her case and she went missing after a night out in Bath which is very near to Bristol where they lived um, and her remains were found in 2009 in a plastic bin bag by a workman on the M5. And they'd sat there for 13 years, <gasps> not found. And it basically entailed like sort of bones and a skull. And she had fractures and had been tied up because there was rope in there. Um, but no one was ever found guilty of her murder. And I just thought that's such a weird, tragic little tale as a sideline from this. Can you imagine being that family and waiting 13 years and then being like finding out she's actually dead and but in a bin bag in a bin bag on the M5? Oh god. Oh god. So, the media focused mostly on Joanna's landlord Chris Jeffries. And he had been told by Greg that Greg would be away. And he also had a key because he was the landlord. Um and he'd made a statement and he changed his statement after the original. Um, and reporters tried to talk to him and they sort of painted him as a bit creepy and a bit weird and a bit elusive with his answers. Um, so there's just a sort of 
this idea that he was a bit dodgy. So they went and spoke to him and because of all the circumstances of him changing his report, they it has been argued that he just added to it and because he was trying to be helpful. He sort of came back and thought, oh, I've had a think about it and yeah. actually this. Yeah. And the fact that he was, he had a key, he was arrested for the murder. Oh, like arrested in like, we're charging you with yeah. this. Well, no, arrested. So they can question You've got him. three days to question on you. Oh, shiza. So the day that Chris Jeffries was arrested, Vincent Tabak and his girlfriend phoned the police and they said that they had remembered something. And they said that Chris Jeffries... Arrest them! <laughs> Chris Jeffries' car had been pointing one way the night of the, that she went missing. But then in the morning it was pointing another, suggesting that he'd taken the car out and gone somewhere and brought it back under the cover of darkness during the night so they phoned and reported this and again that sort of went against chris very Um, circumstantial very circumstantial the police had also gathered more details um the fact that joanna had been sexually assaulted also the contents of her stomach were examined she'd never eaten the pizza so that had just gone Um, i really want to know what happened to this pizza yeah like, are they going to find crumbs in his shoes or something? No, it was never sold. Or a box in his bin. Nothing. Murder- Where did the pizza go? No one knows. Someone's had that pizza. There's a, it would have been in the house. So someone took it. Whoever murdered her took and ate the pizza. They did. They uh, did. They took and ate the pizza. I mean, they could have frisbeed it, but... Why? No, you Why? wouldn't. Unless you, you wouldn't take it unless you're going to eat it. Fucking... Dr. Erka is the only one who can solve this case. (laughs) So, Jeffrey's flat was checked. Um, His computer was checked. Um, He underwent three days of quite intense questioning, the the type of questioning that they're trying to break you. And after three days, he was released. He wasn't charged. um, But he had been sort of very much negatively portrayed by the media. So, Crime Watch featured the crime they created a reconstruction of the murder and it had over 300 people contact the police and as a result of, d- of details given um the police believe that joanna's body had been transported in a suitcase but that's all they really could garner from that because i think basically people had said i saw someone leaving the arrow with a suitcase um so it didn't really offer much help so with no leads at that point and with um chris jeffrey's ruled out as a suspect they sent a police team to go and speak to vincent tabak who had left to spend time in norway over the christmas period because he was norwegian he was spending time with family his girlfriend had gone with them so they went to see him on new year's eve and as a result of this conversation that they had with him this raised concerns um and he also gave a dna sample and this vital information provided clues on what had happened to joanna because the DNA given by Vincent Tabak was found on Joanna's body. <gasps> so, Chris Pump Jeff- his stomach! But... Find the pizza! <laughs> <laughs> However, Chris Jeffries very much believed that this was a mistake, and it was, again, it was please jump in the gun, and please being overly quick to portray one person as the criminal... Um, and he felt really bad for Vincent, but he was arrested. Okay, so in Holland, because he was Dutch, sorry, not Norwegian, the media took up the case and um, very much sprang to Vincent Tabak's um, support. I'm just imagining like a whole army of Norwegians like sending us really angry stuff like, we don't have murderers, he's not one of us. <laughs> So they said that he, they, they felt he was definitely innocent. The police had arrested the wrong man. His parents spoke out about the fact that he was a lovely guy. He was innocent. He has a PhD. He was very well educated. Um, and on the night of the disappearance of Joanna Yates, he texted his girlfriend. Hadn't well, he? he he texted his girlfriend. No, she'd left, and he texted her saying, "I miss you already." Um, he'd also been caught on CCTV at ASDA buying beer and crisps and he was seen texting her on the cctv you as know well. what goes really well with beer and crisps a little bit of murder a little bit of fucking pizza oh yeah so in custody he 
just said no comment to every single question. And the only way he communicated with police about the crime was that he, he gave a written statement. Um, and the statement said that he didn't know Joanna, he didn't know anything to do with her murder, it was nothing to do with him. Analysis of his laptop showed that there were huge amounts of very extreme pornography, um, which doesn't mean he's a murderer, but there were also Google searches of the area before the crime had been reported. So he'd written things like the name of the road. Um, oh, because he wanted to see if anyone had reported as it. Almost to see if like it had been on the news yet. Um, so you think, uh, the, and the road like where her body had been found. Yeah. Um, and then there was a search of his car, which provided more evidence. So there was blood, tiny little specks of blood found in his car and the DNA was found to be Joanna's. So at this point, that's sort of it. And confronted with this, he still refused to comment, but he did start to change his statement. Now, he was held in prison while the trial was prepared for, and he disclosed to a chaplain that he said he was going to plead guilty. But he started to be quite clever and look into how he could get away with manslaughter instead of murder. Mm. So he started to change his story, and he started to think how can I portray this as in I was there and I did it because the evidence is so much against him, but it's not my fault. So the Blame story- the pizza. Blame the pizza. I really can't get past the pizza. Be hungry. Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so at trial, his story said that he walked past the window of Joanna's flat and she had invited him in. He had knocked on the door and she'd opened the door to let him in. He then said that she made a little bit of a flirty comment. And mm-hmm. he'd been like, hello. Despite the fact he'd just said goodbye to his girlfriend. Um, and then he'd gone in for the kiss. And she'd freaked out and screamed. So to stop her from screaming, he'd put his hand over her face. And accidentally strangled her. Uh, yeah right it takes a long time to strangle a human i mean like you'll know they're choking before even yeah it's not easy to strangle someone it's not like you're no um so the jury clearly thought this was bullshit good um and found him guilty of murder but a lot of people no one believes in innocent but some a lot of people think that he was on his route to be a serial killer because it was very organized he'd disposed of it really like yeah he'd done it on a night when he'd seen his girlfriend you think you'd block out the day and be like oh, i'll murder someone now but he managed to do it all so quickly yeah. he tried to create the alibi he was into a lot of sort of um sexual sort of quite aggressive violent things it was quite well planned it might not have necessarily been planning to kill joanna but they there's a lot of signs that would suggest that he would be someone that could potentially be really dangerous um but to end with her you know her parents her boyfriend really really loved her she was a really bright kind woman needlessly killed and it's a really sad story of someone who just never hurt anyone, just being in the wrong place, the wrong time, and killed by someone who just obviously had some sick perversion. Oh, we do do a cheery job here, yeah. don't we? Do you think that once um, robots or really good... Sorry, this is quite a twist. Like, once robots or really good sort of, um, like... What's it called when you see, th- like, you put on the glasses and you can see in 3D? We can already see in 3D. No. <laughs> Good point. No, like, you can see things that aren't there. Like a Pokemon Go, oh, but okay. in a glasses form. Like your little... Virtual reality. Yeah. Once that reaches a level where you could just tell it exactly what you want to experience and then do it, do you think murder would stop? Oh, because people could just... Like I, yeah, I want it or like rape fantasies or and it would seem really real. I don't know. I wonder if it would 
Because then is that, I guess, similar to saying like, oh, well, if you can watch porn, then why would you want to do it? Maybe. But and it like fuels it, I guess. I think that was an interesting question, though. I, not a fun one, let's be honest. But I think maybe, maybe it could end murder. Unless you really Like Westworld, want... I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I gave up on that. Like if you go there and you can just murder people and they're robots for no consequences, would mm. it stop you murdering people in real life? I think no. What if they become sentient and turn on you? Exactly. We've got to prepare for that. So, while we're all busy preparing for the artificial intelligence takeover... You can write us a review. You can join the Slaughter Facebook group. Mm-hmm. You can tweet us using the handle at SlaughterThePod. You can join Patreon, um, patreon.com hashtag SlaughterThePodcast. Forward slash. Hash, forward slash SlaughterThePodcast. You can email us SlaughterThePodcast at gmail.com. Someone says it didn't work, type it again. It's a thing. It exists. Slafter, the podcast. <laughs> the podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, have a good week. And remember, listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. Being Dutch does. In this case. Not always. <laughs> Eating someone else's pizza might as well. Being able to eat a pizza and the box in one. That's what you must have done. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.